This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden, and this is The Leader. Are you one of London's smokers trying to kick the habits? Want to know more about the effect of nicotine addiction on the human body? Well, we spoke to one of Britain's leading experts in the area. She's published over 350 research papers on smoking and vaping, has been awarded a World Health Organization medal, and her work is so influential it informed the government's ban on displaying tobacco products. As part of our International Women's Day special series running on our sister Tech and Science Daily podcast, we're joined by Anne McNeil, Professor of Tobacco Addiction at King's College London, where she's also Vice Dean of Culture, Diversity and Inclusion at the University's Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience. And thanks very much for taking time to speak with us. First off, Big Tobacco can't be too happy having all their secrets laid bare in your research. Yes, Big Tobacco has you know, consistently criticised our research over the years, particularly around the point of sale ban and others, you know, saying it wasn't accurate. They will do anything to maintain their markets. Interestingly, though, as we move into tobacco harm reduction, they're obviously less critical of that research, um, but we get then criticised from other tobacco research who believe that tobacco harm reduction is not the right way to go. So basically, we're constantly criticised <laughs> on all sides. You have to be pretty resilient in academia anyway, because a lot of it is about getting papers, ideas, projects rejected. So getting criticised is probably um, just another part of what makes the job interesting. Your team's research was at the forefront of the removal of point-of-sale tobacco displays. How did the work influence government policy? In England, retailers would resist it because it could put them out of business. And so we also brought an economist on board uh, to look at the data from Ireland. And, And what we were able to show is, A, that it didn't have a negative impact on on retailers um, in terms of their profits. And actually, some retailers welcomed it because it gave them space to hang their peanuts and other things. So it was something that people had just assumed they had to do. And of course, the tobacco industry would come in and they would uh, manipulate the displays to ensure that, for example, health warnings were covered up and their brands were at eye level. And actually, they could use that space for other healthier products. Could you share with us how your academic journey in this field began? Okay, I mean, I grew up in Birkenhead um, in the world, and my dad was a very heavy smoker. And I guess I learned from a 
particularly young age, that his life was very much structured around his smoking. He was a very good storyteller, actually, and he used to read his stories at bedtime. And so often, smoking and cigarettes were peppered in those stories. So he used to actually get the ferry across the Mersey after work. And it would be, you know, could he get to the ciggy shop in time to get his pack of 20 cigarettes? You know, he'd make it into a very humorous story for us at bedtime. But you also learned about withdrawal. Um, So if he couldn't smoke, you could see that he would be getting agitated and people often say actually that alcohol and illicit drugs affect families but actually I think smoking also affects families because you know you're watching somebody do something which is very dangerous for them so he started to cough and I mean he eventually died of lung cancer and it you know it does get you thinking about how can somebody go on doing something which is obviously so very destructive to them and potentially destructive to those around them it so clearly was an addiction tobacco smoking is so very addictive and in fact there was a survey from many years ago wherein uh, heroin addicts were asked to rate the addictiveness of the different products they were using and many of them rated cigarette smoking as the highest. As an undergraduate you studied psychology and zoology and got a first and then your PhD involved some particularly unusual field work. When I came to do my PhD it was on the development of dependence on smoking in young people And it involved going to a local secondary school in London and taking saliva from them, which, if you can imagine, was not that much fun. Um, Asking young women, it was actually, it was a girls' school, to spit into tubes. And um, and then we took away the saliva and had it measured for nicotine. And, And actually what it showed was that young people were very quickly taking down significant levels of nicotine from their smoking. And at the time, so we're talking in the 90s, people generally thought that kids, when they were smoking, they were doing it mainly for social reasons. And actually, we were able to show, you know, the addictiveness to tobacco smoking started quite early in someone's career. And so at the time, did you realise this would be the start of a professional passion for the subject? No, um, I, I think I was more optimistic that something would happen with cigarette smoking. I mean, cigarettes are unique. They're uniquely dangerous. You know, they're one of few products that people use in the way they're intended to be used and they kill you. There aren't that many products that do that. So I guess I thought it was a bit of an anachronism and that over time people would realise how awful this was and the problem would go away. But that hasn't happened. And so, yeah, here I am 35 years later and I'm still working on smoking and it's still fascinating. But it's fascinating because it's about human behaviour it's about addiction, but it's also about toxicology with these new products that are on the market. It's about pharmacology, how the nicotine gets into the system. So it's never boring. And then it's about how do you protect people? How do you convince funders to put money into research in this area? And how do you influence governments to act in this area? Of course, seeing as we're talking around International Women's Day, what are your reflections on beginning your career at a time when academia was male-dominated? When I started, I was in an all-male team, which meant a bit of a male culture. So jokes were a bit more male-oriented. Some of the discussions were more male-oriented. But actually, I was lucky because they were a great group of people and I learned a lot of skills from them. But I think all-male teams are now a thing of the past. I think we've come a long way. There are still pockets of bad behaviour, such as perhaps some old 
male-dominated power structures. Uh, but on the whole, I think management's becoming much more supportive, more collaborative, where you really need to support the younger members of the team rather than sort of deciding what's best for them. And I think people need to look at the optics too. So having people who are the you know the same gender or ethnicity in positions of power will deter other people from joining. So we've still got a long way to go. I mean, you know, if you look at pay gaps, for example, they're still evident between genders and different races and ethnicities. And what's your view on when women reach the top? Because we see on social media, certainly female leaders getting considerable grief, not levelled at their male counterparts. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Women do get more grief. If they make mistakes, they're more likely to be, how can I say, exaggerated or whatever uh, in a way that doesn't happen with men. I think that is an issue. I hope that it's less of an issue than it was 10 years ago. But I think there's still work to be done. And I think actually we need to educate managers because people in academia, so probably this applies to lots of other organisations as well, but people are promoted because they're good at academia, they're good at research. But actually that doesn't make them good managers. Um, and, And very you know, little management training that's available. Um, So we really need to ensure that people are given training um, so that they know how to encourage and support and manage others. And, you know, academia is a difficult career path to choose, I think. So we want to be encouraging people to go down this route because the rewards are great. People will never earn as much as they do perhaps in the private sector, but there are other rewards in, in academia. So we need to be encouraging and supporting people to get on that journey. There's more news in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Monday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.